0: There's an elephant in the room here today, right? It won't do not to talk about it. As of yesterday, we have a new president-elect. Now, if you know anything about the effect, you know that we don't talk about politics here, and that's for a reason. Our mission is very clear that it's a micro-mission. We are working person-to-person. We don't work macro. We don't work from the top down. We don't talk about policy. That's up to you all. Because Jesus' message, Jesus' way, transcends politics, transcends all the individual thoughts and categories that we can place ourselves in. And any sincere follower of Jesus can follow sincerely on any side of the political divide that he or she ends up on. And that's what we sincerely believe. And so we don't need to talk about that that's not our issue it doesn't matter what i believe the church doesn't have any particular stands we want everyone to feel that we can gather here in a really big tent and just talk about jesus talk about jesus way talk about what our interior response should be so all through 2020 with all the difficulties that we've been facing one right after another we haven't been we've been talking about the issues but in a completely open way, with the focus on what is our personal response? What can our personal response should be? What are the principles or guidelines that can help us develop a personal response? And that's what we've been talking about. And so any sincere follower of Jesus can follow sincerely on any side of any political divide. And this is an important point for us to make, is that politics by definition is about managing the divisions in any group. Not erasing the divisions in a group. It's managing the divisions. If you set about to try to erase the divisions in any group, tribe, nation, state, that would take an authoritarian rule in order to do that. And then we're not talking about democracy. We're not talking about our form. And so that means that there's going to be divisions. There's always going to be divisions. Politics is managing those divisions, finding ways to make decisions for the good of all within the group by managing the different power groups and the divisions within the group. It recognizes those divisions and power groups and works to make those decisions despite the differences. Now, we often lament the divisions, we lament the fact that we have different points of view and philosophy and strategy and all of that, but isn't that just the human condition? You know, you put two people in a room, you got three opinions. That's just the way it seems to go. In any group, you're going to have differences. We all see things differently. The best case, in the best case, what politics can do is to focus on the common purpose that any group has. And most broadly spoken, especially here, Declaration of Independence, our common purpose is life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. It's kind of hard to disagree with those as a common purpose. Right? So how do we manage the division but allow that common purpose to hold us? as we see things differently, hopefully we always have that purpose in mind, and we hope that this common purpose is going to hold our center together, even though we see things differently. Now, the problem is, is that when a lot of fear and or corruption, which is also based in fear, creeps into the system, then it can start to pull us apart. And we've been talking endlessly About how we have lost our center here in in our country. How we become so polarized that we don't see each other as wrong anymore, but we actually see each other as evil because they don't think another doesn't think the way that we think. It's like two circles, you know, overlapping that have been pulled so far apart that there is no more overlap. There is no more connection in terms of human identification with each other, or trust, or goodwill each other. You know, And it seems like that's what's taken over our country, but it really hasn't. What we hear in the media, what we see, are the outliers. What we see are the extremes. And they are mutually exclusive. But there is this vast middle. People who are still moderate. People who still have the overall purpose in mind want to live their lives want to raise their children want to have a life for their children that is at least as good as theirs if not better and so that center is still there but it's becoming more and more polarized as media and other you know outlets social media whatever continues to fan the flames of the division, emphasizing the divisions between us instead of the commonality between us. It's funny, but as I've been talking to people throughout these months, more and more people have confided in me that at times they don't even recognize themselves because of the anger that they feel. Yelling at the television. (laughs) Acting out in ways that they didn't expect, you know, because of what they're feeling so passionately. Worse than that though are those who don't even realize that they're being triggered emotionally and, and are just going about this without awareness or even are seeing virtue in fighting the good fight, in separating themselves from each other and holding on to these divisions and trying to work through things in a very divisive way. The truth of the matter is, and this election shows it, we're a 50-50 nation. It's amazing how close the election, all elections were, not just the presidential election. We're divided and perched on a razor's edge right now with elections so impossibly close that they can easily flip down to one side or another. Four years ago, they flipped one way. This week, they flipped another way. But with elections so close, with the divide so close, this is always going to be the case. It just takes a little breath of wind, and things go another direction when things are so close. Now every administration, as they're coming in, talks about having a mandate, and this one is no exception. They want each, each administration wants to believe that it's true that they actually do have a mandate. But the truth of the matter is, it's a 50-50 nation, and we can only hope that the incoming administration is willing to consider the other side of the political divide because it is so close. You know, my main prayer for this election was simply that it would be a clear decision. That was it. I just wanted to have a clear decision so that we, whatever, you know, whatever side you ended up on, you know, the winning or losing side, that it was clear and we could move forward with full faith. In retrospect, <laughs> what was I thinking, silly wabbit? It's 2020! you know when has anything this entire year been clear you know and concise and and giving us a a clear way forward I was thinking about when I was thinking about this I was thinking about the, the last line of Chinatown the movie Chinatown you know after everything that happens and the most horrific thing happens right at the end and the hero is just kind of in shock and almost catatonic and his friends pull him away and say forget it Jake it's Chinatown as if that explained everything It's like, at the end of all things, it's 2020. It explains everything. It's just this year. This year has been one thing after another, and it continues to be. Yes, I wish that the election was a clearer decision, and still there are legalities. But I think it's probably pretty clear to all of us, just as it was 20 years ago, that the decision has been made. There's going to be still some things to go through. But we as a nation, and I think we as individuals, need to push forward, knowing what we know right now, until anything were to change. I keep hearing people talk about, and I couldn't agree more, that now is a time for healing. Now is a time for the reconciliation of our nation. Of course, the question is, how exactly do we go about that? First of all, if one side believes it has a mandate, not to consider the other side because their side there's enough votes on one side for their agenda to be pushed through, then it's only going to get worse. Remember, we can't erase the differences between us. And there's not much rhetoric among our leaders about compromise right now. And if we wait for our leaders to start moving this healing forward, this reconciliation forward, I'll tell you what, you know, the station may fall down around us before the train arrives. That may not happen. But if we want healing, if we want reconciliation, then we can't wait. We can't wait for our leaders. We can't wait for everyone. We can't abdicate the responsibility that each one of us has to start with ourselves, to start with who we are. You know, there's a divisiveness of and the fear of 2020. Rolled on. We talked a lot about liminal space. We talked a lot about presence. And just recently, we've been talking about grace. Liminal space, presence, grace. Three things that are interrelated, three things that are really connected, very closely aligned. Because grace, this unmerited favor that we've been talking about, how in the world can you give it if you're not present and in the doorway between groups? able to see the group, see everyone in the group. If we're not present, if we're not connected in some way, there is no way that grace can flow. We talked about liminal space as being the threshold. It comes from the word from the Latin that means threshold. It's being in the doorway. It's having a foot in two different worlds. It's being able to see the good in the other camp. At the same time, seeing the things in your own camp that need critiquing, that need changing, to be able to see objectively and not just us and them kind of situation. It's the ability to see the commonality in everyone, the humanity beyond the divisions, to see good in this other camp, to see the problems in our own camp and be willing to extend ourselves to each other. This takes presence. Each one of us need to ask ourselves the question, are we present enough to even be able to regulate our own emotions when we get triggered? To be triggered emotionally, if you're not aware, if you're not present, then the train just leaves the station. You don't even know that you're being triggered. It's just the air that you breathe and the ground that you walk on. And so to be present enough, to be training ourselves, to be practicing presence enough that we can regulate our emotions and even to see that our emotions need regulating is exactly what we're talking about. These people who say that they don't recognize themselves, at least they're seeing that there is a need for this emotional regulation to step back, back into the doorway back onto the threshold to be able to have a connection, a commonality between people. This isn't gonna come from our leaders. We can't wait for our leaders to institute this for us. This comes from ourselves. And once again, we're not talking about policy here. We're not talking about the top down. We're talking from the inside out, each one of us, person to person. Because if we can't begin the process, there's no way that it's gonna be reflected in the larger community either our family, our church, our work groups, anything that we're involved in, it starts with us. Richard Rohr has been huge on liminal space. And I just want to read a couple of paragraphs, see if we can lock this down. He calls it the the edge of inside. He says, the edge of things is liminal space, a very sacred place where guardian angels are especially, especially available and needed. The edge is a holy place. The edge is a holy place, or as the Celts called it, a thin place, and you have to be taught how to live there. To take your position on the spiritual edge of things is to learn how to move safely in and out, back and forth, across in return. It's a prophetic pr- position, not a rebellious or antisocial one. When you live on the edge of anything, with respect and honor, and this is crucial, You are in a very auspicious and advantageous position. You are free from its central seductions, but also free to hear its core message in a very new and creative way. When you are at the center of something, you usually confuse the essentials with the non-essentials and get tied down by trivia, loyalty tests, and job security. Not much truth can happen there when you are absolutely at the core, at the center of your camp, at the center of your group. To live on the edge of insight is different than being an insider, a company man, or a dues-paying member. Yes, you have learned the rules and you understand and honor the system as far as it goes, but you do not need to protect it, defend it, or promote it. It has served its initial and helpful function. You have learned the rules well enough to know how to break the rules properly which is not really to break them at all, but to find their true purpose, as Jesus said, not to abolish the law, but to complete it. A doorkeeper must love both the inside and the outside of his or her group and know how to move between these two loves. Staying on the edge, staying in the doorway, staying on the threshold requires presence, and presence requires constant energy. To just flop down one side or another is to become non-present, to move back to the center of the group where we can't see the forest for the trees anymore. Presence is the only way to really see each other, to pull each other out of the boxes and the categories that we placed ourselves in, whatever those happen to be, as we put people into camps and boxes. Presence allows us to pull back out, to really see each other as a fellow human being, but still a fellow human being with whom we can disagree. Can you do that? Can we stay with presence on the edge of inside, between camps, and let grace flow? There's another way to look at this that I don't think we've looked at before, and I want to see if this may help. We all long to be on the inside, don't we? I mean, I know I did. I love being on the inside of our community right here. This is this is this is my tribe. This is our troops, right? We long to be on the inside of something where it seems to be safe, where it seems to be secure, whether it's a family, whether it's a church, any group, any party. We all long to be on the inside. How much are we willing to give up to be on that inside? To be a part of, to have that sense of security, to have that safety. Are we willing to completely give ourselves over to the groupthink, to drink the Kool-Aid, as we like to say, to look the other way of things that we know are wrong? When the emperor has no clothes, do we just pretend because it is so important for us to be in that group, part of that security system? Or can we take another tack? There's an interesting passage in Exodus that I think talks right about this. And interestingly enough, it's right after Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, spends 40 days and 40 nights up there symbolically. He's talking to God. He's getting the law. He's getting so many instructions. But down at the base of the mountain, things are not going so well among the tribes and among the people. They despair because he's been gone so long. They're even wondering if he's ever coming back. And they get scared. And so what do they do? They fall back into idolatry. They build the golden calf, and they are dancing around it and, and idolizing it and worshiping it. And when Moses come back, he is righteously angry. He breaks the tablets, the ones that were actually inscribed by the finger of God. And then something interesting happens at Exodus 33, starting at verse 7. After they go through, the, the God has abated his anger, and they're getting back into the groove of things, and Moses is about ready to go back onto the mountain and get a second set of tablets. At Exodus 33, seven, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. This is the tent of meeting. This is a tent where he goes to talk to God. It's the movable tabernacle, if you will. He takes that tent, but he pitches it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came about, whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship, each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Now notice, Moses is pitching this tent outside the camp, a good deal a distance outside the camp. Traditionally, it was 2,000 cubits that he pitched the tent away from the camp. And what's the camp? The camp is all of the tribes, and they are arranged into 12 tribes. They are arranged in their order, so on and so forth. But he pitches the tent 2,000 cubits. What's a cubit? It's a distance from your elbow to your fingertips, usually around 18 inches. So how much is 2,000 cubits? Well, something like a half a mile to two-thirds of a mile. It's always a good distance from the tent. So I want you to try to imagine this scene, Right? Moses goes out half a mile, two-thirds of a mile from the nearest part of the camp of the Israelites. He pitches the tent. From the camp's point of view, it's just a black dot on the horizon out there in the desert. you know. And every time that Moses arises from his own tent within the camp and heads out, they all perk up, stand at the entrance of their tent, and watch him go out. He enters the tent, and then the pillar of cloud... The sakina glory, the actual observable presence of God descends on the tent. And when they see that, then they go into their own worship. A Sabbath day's journey away, this is all happening. That was the uh, maximum amount that you could walk on the Sabbath without breaking the Sabbath law. That's where the tent of meaning stood outside the camp. Why outside the camp? What's the deal there? It's real easy to say, and many commentators do, that God was punishing the people. They had been unfaithful to him. They had gone back into idolatry. And so his presence, they were unclean, in other words. His presence couldn't be in their camp. And we hear that a lot. But is that really what's going on here? Maybe. But I want to take it in a different direction. What does the camp represent? What does the camp of the Israelites represent? It's a nation of tribes with differing points of view, differing strategies, different plans, different ways of looking at life, different priorities. In other words, the camp represented politics. The camp represented a group trying to work through the divisions among them, the jealousies among them, the fears among them, the arguments among them which if you read the Jewish Bible, if you read the Old Testament, it's full of that stuff, right? That's all in the camp. That's what's going on. It's normal human behavior, in other words. People trying to live in groups. And the bigger the group, the more the divisions, the more the issues, the more the politics. Do you want to meet God? Go outside the camp. Everyone who wanted to go talk to God needed to go outside the camp. Moses went outside the camp. It's a place beyond the defenses, a place beyond the divisions. And of course, at least today, we're not talking about a physical place. It's an interior place. But it's a place outside our own camp. It's a place outside our own self-imposed limits, the defenses that we erect for our own security, or we let someone erect for us so that we can shelter within. But this beautiful story, this little detail, you had to go outside of that. You had to transcend that if you wanted to meet God. Rourke says it this way. In our ugly and injurious present political climate, it has become all too easy to justify fear-filled and hateful thoughts, words, and actions in defense against the other side. We project our anxiety elsewhere and make misdiagnose the real problem, the real evil, forever exchanging it for smaller and seemingly more manageable problems. The overdefended ego always sees, hates, and attacks in other people its own faults, the parts of ourselves that we struggle to acknowledge. We do not want to give way on important moral issues, but this often means we don't want to give way on our need to be right, superior and in control. It is our deep attachment to this false or manufactured self that leads us into our greatest illusions. Most of us do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. You get that? We don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. We see them through our filter. We see them through our own projections. The New Testament, the Gospels, they pick up this theme as well, especially in the description of the crucifixion. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 13, starting at verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate that is outside the city of Jerusalem that is outside the camp. So let us go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. What does that mean? To sympathize with him, acting in concert with Jesus, willing to be outside, and all that that means, to be outside of the uh, safety, the security that the camp represents. For here we do not have a lasting city. Listen to that. Here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. That's in the NASB. I want to read it again in the message and see if it just brings it that much closer to home. Same passage. In the old system, the animals are killed and the bodies disposed of outside the camp. The blood is then brought inside to the altar as a sacrifice for sin. It's the same with Jesus. He was crucified outside the city gates. That is where he poured out the sacrificial blood that was brought to God's altar to cleanse his people. So let's go outside where Jesus is, where the action is, not trying to be privileged insiders, but taking our share in the abuse of Jesus. This insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus, no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God. In Jesus' name. Our true home is not inside the camp. As much as that represents our safety, as much as that represents our security and our survival, it's outside the camp, in the doorway. That dot on the horizon is the larger space where grace can live and breathe in our lives. It's a sta- space where, looking back at the camp, those differences between us that seem so huge when you're inside the camp are also just dots on the horizon. That space where we can exhibit our grace, let our love throw, let our love flow right through this shrunken difference that we see between us because we've moved outside. Through all of this, I keep coming back to Lincoln. President Lincoln, usually considered to be our greatest president. Not a perfect man. And certainly not a perfect president. But he was perfect for the moment. For the moment that he was in. Even as he fought the war, he managed to stay outside of his camp. He managed to be able to see all the people as a whole, to care for them all, to care about caring for them all. His second inaugural address is a masterpiece. If you ever go to the Lincoln Memorial, you walk up and you see the big statue of seated Lincoln. You go to the left and there's a Gettysburg Address, you go to the right, it's the second inaugural. Yeah, I had a a religious moment there, just an amazing time when I was there by myself on a business trip and just walking the mall and just reading these documents, I want to read just a couple of paragraphs. Listen to how Lincoln, after four years of the most bloody conflict that our nation has seen, and certainly on our own soil, listen to his thoughts as he starts his second term. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, All thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it. All sought to avert it. Both parties deprecated war. But one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive. And the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work that we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. We've been fighting a cultural civil war in this country pretty much as long as I've been alive but it started boiling over these last four years and especially this year especially 2020 we say that now is a time to heal now is a time to reconcile okay Lincoln meant it he meant it with everything in him and five weeks later he was dead so he couldn't implement it but he died trying do we mean it? Does it mean that much to us? If we do, then we won't be waiting for our leaders, for parties, or for camps that may not be coming. We're gonna start with ourselves, from inside out, with each person that we encounter. There have been ugly winners and losers in this last week. People who should know better People who are paid to know better. People who are paid to be our spokespeople. They're lost in the hatred. They're lost in the fear. But that can't be us because we do know better. If we want healing and reconciliation, we need to do better than that. So here's the thing if you're on the winning side this week, take this moment, it's your moment. Celebrate the moment. Absolutely celebrate. Congratulations. Just as those who are not celebrating now celebrated four years ago. But celebrate kindly with consideration for those who feel that something important was lost to them, just as you did four years ago. And just as you may have wished that they did for you four years ago because in four more years you may be wishing it again. If you find yourself on the losing side, be gracious in defeat and be open and hopeful for a positive change that you don't yet expect just as you may have wished that they did for you four years ago. You know every 4 years we come to this crossroads and 4 years is such a short time there's no lasting city every 4 years after all where is our hope where do we place our hope 4 year administrations come and go we come and go hope is only real if it's placed in something that is eternal So let's go out to him who is eternal outside our camps. For here there is no lasting city. We are looking toward the city which is to come. That's where we place our hope. And if we do that in the things that are eternal, we will will remain outside the camp on the threshold and be able to see all our people and treat them with grace and respect and honor and the healing begins let's pray father we do pray for healing our country has been rocked our country has been torn everyone to a certain extent is weary everyone looking for a different way forward. But Father, help us not to look for that way forward from outside ourselves. Help us not to be waiting for someone else to make the first move, or for leadership to impose something that we think will move us in the direction that we wanna go. Make it our priority. Make it our own mandate in our personal lives to move outside the camp and find you at the tent of meeting so that we can be the change that we're looking for, that we can start it in our own families, first of all, in our own hearts and then our families and every person and group that we touch. And Father, help us that even if this doesn't change the fabric of our country, it at least changes our perception of it and allows us to be kind, to be gracious, and to continue to flow with your love. That's our prayer, Lord. But as always, we look to you and not to these temporary cities. And in you, we will find our hope. Thank you for your love and kindness, Lord. Never let us forget, we can only love because you loved us first. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, let's all stand.